If you have your Bibles, let's go to Acts chapter 14, Acts chapter 14. I want to begin there at verse 8 and read through verse 20. And I believe I'm reading out of the New Living Translation this morning, uh, but following whatever version. Uh, While they were at Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He had been that way from birth, so he had never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached, looking straight at him. Paul realized he had faith to be healed So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up. And the man jumped to his feet and started walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermas since he was the chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priest of the temple and the crowd brought bulls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates and they prepared to, to offer sacrifices to the apostles. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard what was happening, They tore their clothes in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from these worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into the town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. I had been seeking God. God, what, what's the theme? What's the specific of what is going to happen in this year? And the only thing that I kept hearing the Spirit say was keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. And I know God has us in chase mode. And I believe that's going to continue. But while I was walking and and just praying and seeking God, I felt the Spirit of the Lord say to me that this was going to be a year of invasion. That this was going to be a year of invasion. I believe that it's going to be an invasion of God's healing. In a spiritual way, number one. In a physical, psychological, in a financial. I believe in the fullness that it's going to be an invasion, a fresh invasion of God's Spirit upon this place, upon our lives. And I'm not making any predictions. And I'm not jumping on board with any predictions. And we're to be ready and watchful at all times. But there are some signs that are happening around this world that absolutely lines up with God's word concerning the end times and the rapture of his church. I think more than ever before, in this year of 2012, we need to be on our toes. We need to be watching. 
We need to be ready. We need to be living every day of our lives like this may be the day that Jesus Christ comes and raptures his church from this earth. Now, I'm not going to get in a argument of post, pre, or mid-trib with anybody. And I understand that nobody knows the hour, the hour, the hour. But the season is very clear. Jesus is coming. I don't know if it'll be 2012, but I want to say this, I'm expecting. I'm expecting. An invasion of the healing powers of God Almighty. Let's embrace that. Invasion of this city. Invasion of lost souls. That's exactly what happened here in Lystra. God invaded that place. Invasion of his supernatural, miraculous working power. Signs and wonders and miracles. Salvation and infilling of the Holy Spirit. Refilling and healing of backsliders. Glory to God. Does that excite you? Do you believe it? Mm, mm, mm. I want us just to to begin to go through this and, and let God break it down. I want to say this one thing about Paul. This man of God was in chase mode. This man of God was in chase mode. In Philippians 3 and 12, and I'm going to read this out of the King James Version. I like the wording here. I like the way it words this. Philippians 3 and 12 in the King James Version. Not, and this is Paul speaking, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend, for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Paul was in a chase. He was following hard after something. And all of a sudden, there on the road to Damascus, Jesus turned around and apprehended him. And when that happened, it stirred a deep, deep, deep well that was hungry and thirsty to be filled with the things of God. And he realized and he recognized there's more to this. I want to tell you what, there's more than what we've experienced. And Paul was in chase mode, pursuing after the more in hopes that once again it would turn around and apprehend him. I heard Tommy Tenney kind of illustrate it like this. If you, Those of you that's had children or been around little children, have you ever just got in a game of chase with them? How many? Just, just, yeah. And and they try to catch you. You know, I, I'm, I'm talking about little toddlers, you know, two and three-year-olds, maybe even one-year-olds if they're walking. And, and they get the giggling, you know, and, and they're just all giddy and just trying to reach out, catch mom or dad or gramps or grammy, you know, or, or uncle or aunt, you know, and, or even a brother or sister, an older brother or sister, you know, and there's no way that, that they can catch you. But your heart gets touched in such a way of their pursuit. That you just can't help yourself, but you just apprehend them. And, and I believe that, that, that Tommy Tenney really nailed it with that illustration. Because I believe that we get in chase mode and we just get to chasing God. And, and, and I know we can't even begin to, to fathom 
everything that we're possibly after or chasing because He's a God that does far abundantly, exceedingly more than we can ever ask, think, or imagine. Who in the world could could take five loaves and two fishes and feed 5,000 men plus women and children? How could you begin to fathom something like that? The disciples said, oh, all we have here is a little lunch that this little boy has. What is that among so many? So we're just chasing God and we're wanting everything that He has and, and, and we're just all giddy and smiling and we just love what God has poured into us and, and the Spirit that is just motivating and, and urging us on and, and we just get to laughing, I think, sometimes. How many knows that laughter is good for Christians? We don't have to frown all the time. We don't have to be serious all the time. And I believe that, that in worship or in prayer, we just get to chasing God and our heart just fills up with His joy and, and we're just bursting out with, with, with joy for Him and it just moves His heart and touches Him in a way and He just, boom, embraces us and apprehends us. And wow, then the floodgates really opened up. Paul was such a man. He was chasing God. He was in chase mode. And he was after more and more. He was saying, I haven't attained all of this. I'm walking in what I have attained, but I'm after more. How many knows that there's more out there? How many knows that there's more out there for God's children? How many knows that there's more out there for New Life Worship Center? Absolutely there is. As the next thing, we looked at the man, let's look at the city. As I was researching the name of this town, Lystra, which had been invaded by God, I discovered something very sad in its relationship to some in the church. As I began to, to, to search for its meaning and the root, uh, I found that in a modern day translation, this Greek name Lystra means free. Free. F-R-E-E. Free. But when I biblically searched it out, going deeper, the name Lystra means dissolves or disperses. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and He said, There are so many people that are living their lives over a modern day translation. And they think they're free. They think everything is perfect, right, and hunky-dory. Don't ask me to define that word. And so they're living their life in this world under what they call and perceive according to a modern day, a worldly standard, to be free. But yet, in all fact, in all truth, when we search out the biblical definition, the truth, the reality, many are dissolving away. They're dispersing, they're breaking up, and they're dying in pieces, little pieces of their lives is continuing to unravel and falling apart and coming apart. We have adopted a modern day translation for our lives instead of a biblical truth, and many are wasting away. Glory to God. But the good news is, is there's an invasion coming that's going to change our definition of our identity in God. Mm, mm, mm. Somebody praising. Don't make me preach by myself this morning. Glory to God. Would you mind getting those couple of props I got? Just set them here. We looked at the man. We looked at the city. 
Now I want us to look at the crippled. Our text reveals that Paul, during his preaching, spots a crippled man. And the two of them are in a stare down. I mean, they locked eyes. The Bible says that the crippled man was looking straight at him. And it says that Paul saw him. They're in this spiritual stare down. All the while, the Holy Ghost is speaking to Paul. And Paul recognizes something about the man that we'll get to a little later. But I want us to notice where he's at at this time during this stare down. Now, I want to give you a very deep-seated, great revelation. I, I want to bring that to this congregation of people this morning concerning this. I know that you might have a hard time in believing this, and, and you probably haven't heard anything like this before. And as a matter of fact, probably only a rocket scientist could discover something like this. But here it is. Crippled people don't do good in chase mode. Uh, you thought you was going to really get something big, didn't you? I, I, I broke my ankle playing softball back when I was a junior in high school. So uh, I'm aware of how crutches work. And I and I've saw other people hobble along on them. As a matter of fact, this morning I uh, had a young man, and uh, him and his wife has got nursery duty this morning. They're watching the nursery, but he was in a motorcycle accident back in the spring. And he came hobbling in there uh, with a cane. Uh, in a physical sense, he wouldn't do very good in chase mode. Uh, and in a spiritual sense, crippled people don't do good in chase mode. I mean... If I was to give these crutches to somebody and tell them to chase me, it'd probably end up really being crippled. But the sad thing is, is that there are so many that are trying to hobble along through this world. And I understand that the majority of the crippled group is of this world and in this world. But I must say that I have observed that there are some people in the church that are having a difficult time in staying in chase mode and keeping up with where God is going. Now, this particular man... He was crippled on both feet. He didn't have the luxury of crutches. Kind of doubt that they had wheelchairs in those days. I think they had to carry the cripple around on beds in their arms. So, I mean, this guy can't even walk. So he would be trying to... And you know what? What you're doing is exactly what the devil is doing to those that are crippled. He's laughing at them. You're never in that state going to be able to go where God is wanting to take you. And I'm not even going to begin to try to name the things that can cripple our relationship with God, because it's vast. But we're in a place to where God, it's a unique place. And God is really desiring to do something big here. He's desiring to do something big in your life. Huge. 
Huge. Huge. The season is ripe. I believe the time is full. And the Spirit of the Lord is hovering, ready to move. And there's no way that a crippled church is going to reach their fullness in God. And I want to tell you something. We are a body. And I need you. And you need me. And we need each other. We can't look at anyone in this place and say, we don't need you. We can get by without you. We are a body. And if we get some crippled members, then it's going to affect. We need everybody spiritually healthy. And that comes with sound doctrine, true teaching and preaching, an understanding and a right dividing of God's holy word. comes from a foundation of order. We need to evaluate our spiritual legs and our spiritual walk. Not with what I'm wanting, but with what this is wanting. With what this is wanting. Okay, It's easy to get caught up in wise tales and traditions and fables and myths. And it's easy to take Scripture out of context, work out your own plan of salvation. But you forget about working it out with fear and trembling. And in the order of this word. God is looking to do something huge, to do something big. But we're going to have to go to this to make sure that the body is completely healthy and healed. We don't have any cripples. That we can keep up together with God. That we don't have to wait on a lagging brother or sister because they're trying to come in a wheelchair or crutches. I believe that there is a healing anointing of God's power to invade the cripple with spiritual health so that they can go in full chase mode after God. There's more for your life than coming in here on a Sunday morning and sitting on that chair. I'm telling you, there's more for you to do than to come in here on a Sunday morning and sit on that chair and then walk out. There's a calling There's destiny on your life. And God has a will, he has a purpose and a plan. And it wasn't for you just to come and spectate. Say, oh me or amen. It's good stuff though. It's the truth. And the truth is what sets us free. The truth is what brings healing to the body. It's what heals the cripple. What does away with the lame disease. Give God praise in this house this morning. goodness. I do believe there's an invasion of the Spirit of God coming that's going to begin to overtake the crippled group. Not only the body, but I believe it's going to overtake the cripple that's out here in the world. Amen. I believe that there's going to be souls saved in this year. I believe we're going to see more souls saved this year than we've seen in any other year since I've been pastor here. I believe it's going to happen just like he said. Now, the trap... When God begins to invade a place like he did here in this city of Lystra, people look to have something to embrace. They look to have something that they can show gratitude and thanks and praise and worship to. They look to enthrone the object they believe is responsible for what they are experiencing. 
And this is a trap that we must avoid. Uh, nothing, nothing will destroy an invasion of God any quicker than someone or something attempting to steal God's glory. God's glory will not be shared with anyone or anything. And I've seen people over and over idolize the man instead of God during an invasion. I'm going to say that again. I've seen people idolize the man rather than God during an invasion of God. We make celebrities out of them. We make super Christians out of them. We make gods out of them. And the sad thing is, is they let us. The sad thing is, is they let us. The sad thing is, is they let us. And then we chase all over the country instead of chasing God. Paul and Barnabas would not allow that to happen. They said, wait a minute, hold on a second. They tore their garments off from them in despair and in dismay and to show how broken their hearts was. And they ran among the people and they said, don't do this. We are only merely human beings just like yourself. This is of God. The Almighty One of heaven and earth, Creator of everything. He only is worthy of our praise, of our worship, of our thanks. Now listen, don't get me wrong this morning. I'm all for loving. I'm all for submitting. And I'm all for honoring those who labor among us. But we must avoid the timeless enemy trap of giving glory to the wrong object. When, when God begins to move and souls begin to get saved and miracles begin to happen and, 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 and people hear and, and, and catch wind of this and they begin to visit and they begin to come and, and, and the church gets full or ministry begins to be blessed, the enemy's going to come with that pride and try to infiltrate the invasion of God. Oh, Satan knows all well about that. We've got to stay small. Paul meant small. Paul was going to stay humble. He was going to stay small. And he was pointing towards God. The applaud of people shouldn't motivate us. The compliments of people shouldn't motivate us. The pat on the backs of people shouldn't motivate us. It should be the Spirit of God that motivates us to do and to be what we are for His kingdom. And our praise, our thanks, our worship, our honor, our adoration should be going to Him. All roads lead to Him when it comes to the super miraculous power of His working Spirit. There's not any room on His throne. I said there's not any room for anybody else on His throne. He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. So we must avoid the trap of getting puffed up and exalting ourselves and thinking, oh my goodness, we are so righteous and we are so holy and God is 
showing such favor and goodness to us. There's not any other churches in East Texas that's worthy of having what we're having, what's going on here. Oh my goodness, our youth pastors and our children pastor and our associate pastor and our music pastor, our senior pastor, our teachers, oh, there's none like them in all the world. I want to tell you what, there's none like God. And when He's the one that we're lifting up, He will draw all men to Him. And He will draw close to us. We must avoid the trap of trying to steal or take any portion of God's glory. You had the man. We had the city, the cripple, the trap. Now there's the stoning. There will always be those who will oppose the invasion. Always. Their opposition of what's happening is justified in their minds and heart as the right thing. Now, some can be used by the enemy in hindrances to the invasion of God and not even realize it. God was invading the world through Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ had to rebuke Simon Peter trying to hinder the invasion. Simon Peter wasn't aware of that. He thought he was doing a good thing. He thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was taking up for Jesus. But Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. So there are those people who think they're doing the right thing. They don't even realize that they're a hindrance to the invasion of God. They, they just think they're helping. They think they're helping you out. You're on board with the invasion and, and, and they're thinking they're having. But there are others that know exactly the kind of influence they're under and they're doing it in hate of God and anything connected to Him. So there's two groups of people there. Now, actually, that portion of it is irrelevant when it comes to the effect of the stone throwing has on the individual, us as God's vessels. The bottom line is, is we get hurt and can suffer much pain from the attack. We get hurt and we can suffer much pain from the attack. Don't worry, these aren't real stones. I promise you they're not, because they're going to be thrown at me. Brendan, Caleb, come here for a minute to help Pastor preach. Y'all are going to be some good... Jews this morning. I want you to get on that side. Now, what I want you to do is I want you just to pick these up one at a time and throw them at me, okay? I don't want you to throw them two at a time. I don't want you to just get all excited and get carried away with this illustration, okay? Be calm. Remember, I'm, I, in your eyes, in your heart, I'm a bad guy right now. You think you're doing something good. You think you're doing something right. So we're going to have a good old-fashioned stoning. Okay? All right. Y'all start stoning. Paul and Barnabas is over here. Oh. And they continue to throw stones at him. That's right. And he's being beaten and battered. And Barnabas is, is Barnabas has backed off. He, I, I don't know where Barnabas is. Paul's the only one getting stoned, and they are so 
Maybe because he was the preacher. Maybe he was doing the talking. But finally, the stones take their effect. But they continue to pound him and, and, and bombard him. And he goes down. Okay, thank you guys. And he's down. And he's not moving. Yes. And he's broken. And he's kind of subconsciously wondering, you know, what's going on? What, you know, what just happened? I was, I was in chase mode. I was in chase mode. And, and, and all I know is, is that God was invading this town and, and I was working for him. And I was just doing what I was supposed to do. And subconsciously he's wondering, he's, he's, he's confused. And, and, and he's just thinking, what, what just happened? What, what went wrong? And he, he lies there. And he's at the point that they believe he's dead. They believe they've killed him. Now, understand. You fill in the blank. Anything could be being stoned. When there's an invasion of God, the enemy comes out to stir up any kind of trouble that he possibly can. And he'll try to stone your finances. You know, he'll try to stone your family. When things begin to change, people get uncomfortable with it. And they, they like to, to, to hold things traditional. And when you begin to move with an invasion, some people don't like it. And the very ones that you never thought would throw stones at you could be your very family members that begin to throw stones at you. Could be your health that's being stoned. A number of anything. And then they're dragging you out. And you're hurt. You're in pain. And your lifeless body is being drug out. As you're being drugged down the street, drugged past the onlookers that are in such a rage against your life. And they drag you outside of the city, and there you lay. You're broken, you're bruised, and you're bleeding. You were doing your best to follow God and be a part of His invading power upon the city. But all of a sudden, your lifeless body is being dragged away from what you thought was going to be an invasion of destiny for your life. And all hell is broke loose against you. And the stones just continue to mount the onslaught of the enemy continues to beat and to wear you down. And there you lie in brokenness, bleeding and bruised. You're hurt. You're confused. There's no reasoning, there's no understanding, there's no answers. And the demonic influence that has just stoned you believes that it has just killed all hopes of you ever recovering from this stone. And they leave you outside of their city. As dead. And it is so bad. It has come to the place that it is so bad 
that other believers, these believers weren't praying for Paul. They were gathered around him looking. And for some of you, it's come to the point that other believers have just gathered around you looking to see what your next move is going to believe is going to be. They're even thinking he's dead. He'll never, they'll never recover from this. It's too bad. They're beaten too far down. They will not recover. And there the believers stand around Paul looking. And the Bible says that he gets up. The Spirit of the Lord is saying to us this morning, Get up. Get up. Get up. If we'll only continue to get back up. If we'll only continue to get back up. The invasion can continue. Not only does he get back up. Oh, God's anointing somebody in this house. Not only does Paul get back up, but he goes back into the very city that just threw him out. Whatever would possess a man to get up and go back into the very place that just tried to kill him and throw him out. I want to tell you what would possess such a man. The Spirit of the living God. Why was he able to get back up? Why did he go back into that city? Because God wasn't through invading that place that had just threw him out. God was not through invading Lystra who had just threw him out. So Paul gets back up. Just a scratch. Didn't say they carried him. He went, he walked back into the city. They drug him out, but he walked back in. Some of you have been drug out by the enemy and him stoning you, but you're going to walk back into this thing. You're going to walk back into where God is invading. You're going to walk back into where the Spirit of God is moving. God's not through with you yet. If the enemy could have killed you, he would have killed you a long time ago. If he could have destroyed you, he would have already destroyed you. There's an anointing upon your life. You are anointed and called by God. You're part of the invasion. And he gets back up and he walks back into the city. Nobody's going to throw me out. I'll leave when God tells me to leave. I'm here until God gets through with me. And the Bible said it was the next day. I don't know. He may have walked right past where the stoning took place when he walked back into town. Kicking those stones out of his way. Don't these people realize they ain't fighting against the Apostle Paul? They're fighting against God himself? I tried to tell them this wasn't about me and Barnabas. It was about an almighty God sitting on his throne that has a plan and a purpose for this city. And he's not going to stop invading it because of a few stones. I know I'm talking to a remnant right now, but an invasion is coming that's going to change all of that. I know I'm talking to a small group of people right now in this house, but there's an invasion coming that's going to change all of that. 
Somebody give Him praise in this house this morning. The place. I'm going to present something to you in closing. Somebody come to the keys. I'm going to present something to you in closing this morning, and I plead with you to listen and to watch closely. Because I believe it deeply pertains to us. We, write this down, we don't choose the place of the invasion. Only God himself determines the place he'll invade. We don't choose the place that God invades. Only God himself determines the place that he invades. The place of this invasion was Lystra. You can start playing quietly whenever you're ready. But why Lystra? Why the city of Lystra? Paul had three missionary tours. This that we read about this morning was on his first missionary trip. This city was a part of that tour. On his second missionary trip, he also went back to Lystra. And many Bible scholars believe, and after I have studied, I believe also that he also went back to Lystra on his third missionary trip. And after I reveal to you what God has showed me, what I have found, I, I believe that, that you also will believe. In Acts 14 and 9, the latter part of verse 9, 9b in our text, Acts 14 and 9, back to the crippled man, Paul realized he had faith. Paul realized he had faith. Paul, they were in a stare down. He was looking straight at Paul. Paul saw him in his crippled state. And Paul realized he had faith. That's the word of God. Paul realized he had faith to be healed. There's faith there in Lystra. There's faith there in Lystra. Now, now watch this because it's about to get better. Here is Paul writing to Timothy. Second Timothy chapter three and verse eleven. Second Timothy chapter three and verse eleven. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all, you know all, you know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. How did Timothy have intimate knowledge of what happened to Paul? Because he was there. He was there. Acts 16 and 1. Acts 16 and 1. Paul went first to Derby. Then, this is his second missionary trip, then to Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. His mother was a Jewish believer. But his father was Greek. Lystra is the hometown, the birthplace of Timothy. Lystra is the birthplace, the hometown of Timothy. 
Now watch this, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 4 and 5. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. Paul writing to Timothy, I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted. And I will be filled with joy when we are together again. <laughs> Listen, I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Lystra was a breeding ground for faith. Lystra was a breeding ground for faith. I believe God invaded this place because of what He found there. Now listen, this invasion ultimately birthed two books of the New Testament. First and Second Timothy. Lystra. Lystra. Because a man after being stoned saw faith there. And God decided to invade it because of faith. Goes back there. Timothy is anointed and set forth. He becomes a young evangelist that Paul writes two letters to that the church is still prospering from today. No wonder Paul couldn't walk away. No wonder. God invaded that place. Why Gladewater, Texas? Why can't we just walk away? Because God is invading a place where He has found a seedbed of faith. <laughs>